0: back. Welcome to our monthly podcast, The Call to Foster. My name is Shasta Miller and I'm a field support man- manager with the Missouri Children's Division and my two hosts are here with me and I'll let them introduce themselves.
1: And I'm Jessica Hugstep. I'm a supervisor over the Southeast Regional Resource Unit.
2: And I'm Ashton Kiever. I am the communications
0: professional um, for Children's Division. Um, I want to welcome you listeners in the audience. We, I'm super excited about today's episode, this monthly episode. Uh, we have a very, very special guest, and I want to give them the opportunity to introduce themselves, and then we're just going to jump right in.
3: Hi, guys. Um, I'm Eugenia Doreen, former foster youth, and spent over 10 years in the foster care system, turned to an advocate, and so I'm just excited to
0: be here. Wow, 10 years in the foster care system, that's a long time. Yeah, it is. So I think what I'm most interested in is just to hear your story, um, you know, from the beginning, how you were introduced to the foster care system, and then I think from there, um, really hear your advice um, about um, what foster parents or future foster parents can learn from you as you've Been there, done that, and I think your advice is so important. So, maybe start, tell your story from the beginning.
3: Yeah, so my story from the beginning kind of starts before foster care, right? So, um, I grew up in the house primarily with my three older brothers and my dad. And although life wasn't great, it wasn't terrible. Um, normal brother-sister activity and, you know, playing outside and things like that. Eventually, all of that kind of came to an end when substance abuse became a problem for my father and we were struggling to keep the lights on and struggling to keep food in the house and just struggling to have stable housing. Um, And eventually... We would go from home, you know, to home, to living in shelters, to, you know, living with relatives, and eventually, you know, stress and all of that led to abuse, and that is what kind of opened up the door for my brothers and I to go into foster care, Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was the summer before, I'm going to say seventh grade, I was introduced to my first kinship um, placement. And I was fortunate enough to have that placement with someone from my church, and they ended up becoming my godparents. And they took me into their home, and they got licensed to be foster parents. So they did the whole training and walkthrough and all of that. Um, And they were like, you know what, we love you so much. We want to see her succeed, so we'll go ahead and be parents. And that was great. Um, But at the same time, I was still kind of grieving this, experience of being, you know, torn apart from my brothers and my family and what it would be like, you know, not seeing them and things like that. Yeah. So on I was the only uh like child, young child in the house, uh, with my kinship placement, my first kinship provider. So it was a little hard, but um, I grew in that placement. I learned a lot. I was able to exceed and exceed in school and my academics and things like that. Well, eventually it kind of came to, you know, she's the only kid here. Um, you know, she's only seeing her brothers so much. Maybe we think it would be beneficial if she is in a place well, there's more kids her age that can, you know, give her more of a an environment she was used to. Mm-hmm. So that was the decision that my godparents made and I was for it, it was mutual. And like they had a life to live too. Um my dad didn't do everything, you know the the plan. So, you know, things happened, things moved on and so I ended up going into my first foster home, um, outside of that kinship placement.
0: Okay. Can can I ask you a quick question, real quick? Um, yeah. Just kind of going back to your your first kinship placement was, and you said it was from someone from your church. Um, yeah. Was that in your? Were you able to stay in your in the same community?
3: Um. Yes. So I was around. Um, of course, I moved home, so the address and things were different. The school was a little different, but I was able to. Do kind of have those relationships that I had made prior to entering that kinship? That's great. Um, that's great. placement.
0: So yeah. That's great, That's fantastic. Um, do you think that those relationships really kind of helped you through being in foster care and just the change in general?
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. I would say so. One, it just kind of provided a sense of normalcy, in yeah. a sense, and just having that, you know, familiarness to the community that I had there, and to help me grow um, and learn how to, you know, kind of face adversity for what it was, in a sense, mm-hmm. and lean on those people in my community in those relationships.
0: Yes, I love that. Um, And then you, and then from the kinship, You then went into, uh, I assume, a traditional foster home where there was other um, foster kids your age. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, awesome. So you can kick off from there.
3: Yes, so (laughs) I would say about that. I was 12 going on 13. Um, so it had been a few years until I come into my first traditional foster home at that point and it it was a little bit of shock Mm -hmm. Um, it was years from going you know with other siblings in the house being the only kid now back to an environment where there's more kids my age and it was fun I loved, you know being around kids my age and going to school and things like that Um, as far as Being a kid with other kids Mm -hmm. or other youth in those environments so I think in that aspect it helped me a lot just to you know have those relationships build more relationships with people around my age group that can kind of help share the load with in a sense
0: yeah and I those kiddos that were around your same age I'm sure they were going through similar things you were right Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which I'm sure was really um, helpful. And I'm sure you helped them as well. Um, I think sometimes we forget. I'm going to go on a little tangent here, but I think sometimes we forget that it's not just the foster parents. Right. It's the whole family dynamic. And we can learn and love everyone in the home. And uh, so I'm really glad you said that. Um, So how long were you um, in that placement? I would say I was in
3: that placement until I was 15. Oh wow. Um, okay. I remember having my 15th birthday and then I ended up after that moving on to another kinship placement.
0: Oh wow, okay. And was that a was that like a planned move from a traditional foster home to another kinship?
3: Yes and no. So I say yes and no because it was kind of. It was really by the grace of God. I had a sister um, on my dad's side that found me on Facebook awesome. and we connected. And you know, was like, "Hey, like, what do you think about this?" So I was talking to my social worker, and we all kind of sat down and talked about it. So we started visitation, and then from there, it was just like, "Hey, what do you think about actually, you know, coming here to live here?" and that's where the yes comes in because after that conversation, we started looking more into the planning of that. What would that look like? And it, it was a no brainer from there.
0: That, that's awesome. In fact, um, you know, placing with adult siblings has been kind of a hot topic. And as an agency, and this is for the listeners, just information um, and knowledge. Uh, We are really looking at that, and we are really pushing for placement with adult siblings. In fact, there's actually been some policy uh, changes to promote that. Um, And so I love hearing that, because that was your sister, and she reached out and found you, right? Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. That's awesome. And how much older was she? Oh, she, she, I mean... She had a son
3: one year older than me, so she was a little older than I was. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So it was, it was definitely an age gap. I will say that.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I, I love that. Um, so from there, um, what happened from there? Once you were placed with your sister, um, kind of jump in and, and tell the rest of the story.
2: Yeah, so how did you get from there to where you are now? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so
3: once I um, moved in with my sister, and at this point, you know, I'm in high school, so I'm getting really involved and things like that. And fortunately, I was always, you know, trying to do my best academically. And so just kind of learning what it was like being a teenager, Mm -hmm. um, a normal teenager at that. You know, I was a preteen in a foster home under kind of like more of the foster home rules and regulations when you go out when you do this when you do that so the transition to being like a normal teenager and excelling academically and then I ended up having enough credit to go to college early so I wow. saw the opportunity and I took it so I ended yeah. up graduating high school and starting college at 16. At what age?
1: 16.
3: Oh, wow. Oh, my God. So,
1: awesome. like, I have, like, I can only imagine, so 16, starting college, like, because you're still at that age, right? You're at that age where you're still maturing, you're still, you know, um, going through that. Like, how hard was that for you?
3: Oh, it was It was hard. Um, if I'm just being honest, it was very hard because I was learning, just learning, The transition back into normalcy back into being a normal teenager and getting used to the new family dynamic I was in and now I'm in a world where I'm kind of by myself all over again and I'm navigating what it's like to be in college and I'm 16 so I'm still learning things about myself and just growing up on a college campus it was very hard to navigate but I think Lean, again, leaning on that community and the people who really supported me during that time really helped make it better. Yeah. And that's, um,
1: that's what I'm kind of interested in. And, like, who were your supports in that time?
3: For sure, I would say um, I had an excellent cheerleading coach in high school, and she was there for me throughout my entire college Journey. Um, and so she supported me and came to Family and Friends Day and all that. So she played a major wow. role in that. Um, just as well as some of my friends um, that I met in the foster care system and we're yeah. still best friends to this day, just talking and sharing stories and like, oh my God, this is what this is like. And also, of course, I would be remiss, God Himself, honestly, but mm-hmm. also to my godparents, my first kinship placement they were there and rooting and cheering for me and supporting me where they could. So just definitely leaning into that community.
0: So I, I want to go back to something you said, because I think for future foster families, this is really important. So Eugenia, you had mentioned, you know, in your previous, your traditional foster home placement, you there, you kind of had the normal foster care rules. What were some of those rules?
3: So some of those rules included, um, you don't eat after 7.30, um, lights out around 8.30, very sh- kind of strict environment, what? Um what? Hospice-
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think, I'm so glad we're talking to you because um, that is something as an agency, like, we are really, really trying to push, like foster kids should have a normal quote unquote normal right because no no childhood no teenage none of us are normal right but we are really striving and pushing that all of our foster kids should should have a normal upbringing and their rules should be normalized and so i think some of the rules you just mentioned um you know i would you know if we could go back in time Um, I would, I would love to ask, you know, that foster home placement, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of that? You know,
2: wait, wait. Okay. So as somebody who doesn't quite, I'm not in the lingo, right. Um, are these rules like per household, like it's up to the foster parent or are these like rules suggested ever like through a handbook or something or what's, what's the
0: story on this? So it, it, I assume in this situation um, that it's the, it's the foster parents house mm-hmm. rules. Um, mm-hmm. we, as an agency, we don't go in don't. and say you, this rule's got to, you know, this rule's got to happen. This rule's got to yeah, happen. Yeah, we definitely don't, you No, know, we give them the freedom mm. to do that. But I think, um, we, we hear this every now and then. And I think wow. it's something that we've got to, we've got to change. So I'm hopeful that our listeners, future foster families out there are hearing this because we should strive for our foster kiddos to have as much of a normal upbringing as anyone else. And I know I appreciate your vulnerability to talk about that because I'm sure that was for you at the time. I'm sure it was just normal, right? Like, okay, here's the rules. We're going to, I'm going to abide by them. Right? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. What really shocked me was when she said about, you know, was it no food after 7.30, you said?
2: Yeah, like, mm-hmm.
1: like these kid, a lot of kids come in with food insecurities, not knowing where their next meal's coming from, and what if they're hungry and need a snack after 7.30? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I can't even imagine.
0: Did they ever articulate um, why those, some of those rules were in place?
3: Um, Honestly, uh, that parent just said just saving fun. Okay. To be eating all the food, just saving fun kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Just stuff along that line. Sure, sure. Um, Well, we could probably talk about that all day long, but um, I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Again, I hope our listeners are out there hearing this because, really should strive for normalcy and what I'm hearing you say is once you once you place got placed with your sister you had more of a normal um teenage development right yeah okay
2: so I just kind of you know um I I would like to hear you talk about how you got involved in um Miss Uh, America USA the pageant and then um maybe how you sort of landed on this platform for foster care obviously you have passion for it but um I just want to hear you talk about it a little bit
3: so pageantry was something that I didn't know I could do um just kind of I was in a mindset of, oh, I'm a foster kid. That's not for me. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. when I got to college and I was on my own, my school actually hosted a pageant called Miss Black Student Union. And I was like, you know what? I want to try it. Why not? Yeah. It was ended up so fun. It was successful. I ended up winning the title Miss Black Student Union. Like, oh, oh, cool. God. Thank you. And I was like, this is so cool. I wonder what else is out there like that. So that was my introductory into the, you know, the pageant world. So I was doing my research, and years later, um, here I am now, and I found the Miss Black USA system, and I'm doing the research, and it aligns with everything that I just, I like, I involve myself with, and that I really, you know, align myself with women empowerment, education, mm-hmm and just uplifting the next person and so I was like that's it this is what I'm going to do I'm going to put my best foot forward so I ended up applying and I went through an extensive you know interview process and paperwork and all that good stuff and they were like we think you'll be a great fit for Miss Black Missouri which is the state title holder and I got crowned and I was like awesome like that's cool and so was really cool During my research, you know, I'm learning, you know, just through watching them because I've watched that pageant system for years. Oh, these women are women who are in the community. They're passionate about stuff. They're doing stuff. They're making change. So I was reflecting, like, what, what am I doing? What can I do to make change? And I've had, you know, businesses and things I can talk about, you know, entrepreneurship, but that wasn't really something that, I wanted my platform to be if I was going to be a champion for something. Mm -hmm. So I just Mm -hmm. thought about myself and my experience in the foster care system and all of the other kids, all of the other youth in care that could have this same exact opportunity one day. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to be a voice. I'm going to be a champion and advocate for kids in foster care. So that's why my platform is Dream Big, which is all about raising awareness for Kids in foster care and helping them get to and through college
1: love it, and definitely like i i mean I think I don't know, but like dream big our kids in foster care really don't
0: get to dream oh yeah, I, I think you said it earlier when you said, you know you were kind of having some doubts I'm just a foster kid and I am so thankful that you have joined this mission um, because I think other foster kids and foster families really need to hear your story. They need to hear, like, you can dream, you can do anything you want. It doesn't matter if you're in foster care. If you have the motivation and the support and drive, you can do anything. And I, I love it. I love it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I was sort of just thinking, like, Maybe this is a maybe this is when I can ask this question. You know, um, how do you think foster parents play into this role? How can they, um, how can they support foster kids in, in and help them get to a place like you're at? I mean, you're you I would you are what I would consider very successful, yes, and absolutely. um, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head that a lot of foster kids maybe feel like that's not in the cards for them, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so so what role could a foster parent play in that empowerment?
3: Yeah, so first I'll say this. The foster parent is a very crucial part in the development of the foster youth, right? These youth are coming into their homes, and even if they're allowed – they're looking for that extra love. They're looking for that support. They're looking for somebody to say, you can do whatever you can do. Just because you're in foster care, it doesn't matter. We're going to be here to support you. Mm-hmm. So just being supportive and asking, what do you want to do? What are your dreams? I think that's just the first step. And how they can, you know, really empower you to be able to go after their dreams is really just to listen and find them resources to help them get there especially if it's something that they can control in a sense, just uh, really sharing that experience, that knowledge, that love, and those resources and being willing to go a little, you know, above and beyond, go that extra mile to show that support. For me, and I think this could resonate with other foster youth, a lot of times we feel neglected by the families that we come from or we experience traumatic, you know, events or Things that make us feel like nobody cares. Yeah. So that foster parent can be that person to say, you know what, I care, and not only just say it but show it. Yeah. So if their dream is to become a doctor, hey, I found this cool resource or this mentor. You know, let's set up a lunch. Let's go here. Let's do. You know, just to take that extra step. And I think that could be a very key piece of supporting and empowering that you.
0: That's some. That's a. That's great advice. And I think there's no better person that could give that advice because you've lived it and you have felt it and look at you, you, I agree with Ashton. I think uh, you are, you have beaten the statistic, right? Um, And you're successful. And uh, I hope our listeners are listening because I loved what you said, like going the extra mile. Um, You know, we've talked to a lot of foster families and and heard from them. and, And the one thing that differs is help them find resources, um, and how important that is and getting them connected to the community. And, uh, I love it. Willing to go an extra mile. And, um, I think we have a lot of people out there that want to help oh, yeah. and they, they want to help kiddos in foster care. And the only way to learn is to talk to people like yourself and, um, just, just thank you for being vulnerable. Cause I, I know this is, um, it's not the easiest thing to do, right? Um, <laughs> But it's, it's so needed for your story to be out there, and I just really appreciate that.
2: Yeah, so, um, Eugenia, I, I kind of would love to know a little bit more about, um, if, you're, if you're okay with talking about it, because um, I know, like, you do, you do workshops and stuff. Um, And do you have a workshop that you do for, um, foster parents or have you done one for them? And,
3: um, you know, I'm just, I'm just interested. Yes. So I do workshops, um, for foster youth, foster parents, agencies as advocates, um, for youth. And so I actually just wrapped up a workshop in Denver, Colorado this past weekend, um, about foster care, and so parents were in the room, youth were in the room, and advocates from different agencies were in the room, and we just really went through just assessing who we are and where we are in the foster care world, and then how to navigate that system for where we are. And so just teaching down, you know, the basics of what it's like to be a foster youth, you know, just from my experience first, and then the tools you can share and apply for each category of where we are. So for the youth, for the parent, and for the agency. And then tying that all together with just, you know, affirmations and sharing a little bit about my journey and my story Mm -hmm. and what helped me through that process and how I navigated through that process and then giving them tangible resources so they can do it too. And they were from different states and all over. So it was very fun. And then we just had dialogue. I got to listen to the issues that were in the room from everybody, from the youth, from the parents, from the advocates, and we brainstormed solutions to that right there in that room.
1: That's really cool. Very cool. I would be interested in knowing, like, the outcomes of that, you know, or what was said, or, like, generalized comments, things like that.
0: Yeah. Um, Now I'm curious, have you done anything like that in, in Missouri? I'm working on it. Awesome.
3: <laughs> I Yay. am working on it. I've hosted other workshops in Missouri, but um not specifically with foster care and youth and parents and agencies. So I am sure. working on it.
0: Yeah, I would lo- I will definitely be in attendance for that. Me I think too. that's um, I I would love to I would love for you to be a part of something like that in Missouri and I'm really glad to hear you're working on it. Um I, I'm i really curious, too. Um, I think foster parents, our current foster parents, and future foster parents could really benefit from hearing you and hearing your journey. And, I mean, even through our, our quick conversation today, you've said some really insightful things, and you have some good advice. And I don't know if we, we do a, a real good job. We're working on it, but I don't know if we do a real good job of of getting advice from those who, who have been who have first-hand He's experience, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, is that something you you might be interested in and is doing a workshop with foster parents or future foster parents?
3: Oh, absolutely. All right.
0: Sure. Yeah, Writing that down. On, we're Come working
3: on. on filling
2: up her <laughs> schedule for sure.
3: That's <laughs> <Right. Yes.
0: laughs> great. I love it. Well, and I
2: also kind of just would love to hear you talk about um, – like, so out of these events that you're doing, are you, are you connecting with any of these kids? Are they, like, reaching out to you afterward? Um, you know, are, are people reaching out to you afterward and building a connection with you? And, and like, how, how are, you, are you, like, able to mentor them in any kind of more personal way? Like, I guess, I guess I'm asking, like, what are your success stories with this, with this work you're doing? Do you have any?
3: Yeah, so I've actually had a few youth that I've come in contact with just a, just from the workshop that I did recently in Denver and just people reaching out from seeing some of my articles and the work that I'm doing and just asking, like, hey, like, can we just keep in contact? Can we connect? Can you give me advice on this? And I will have, you know, one of them's in middle school. And, you know, she's asking me questions. And just to be there for her in, mm-hmm. like, a big sister-ish kind of role yeah. I mean, it is just so fulfilling. And just seeing that the youth have a desire for that guidance and that extra kind of support is amazing. So I'm working on building that, but it's definitely there for sure.
2: What I wanted to see about this, and the reason I asked, is because, you know, maybe there are people listening to this podcast that, they decide, you know, they, like, have a passion for it, but maybe they don't feel like foster care is exactly their, their right, right, lane, right right you know. Um, so, like, what are ways that they can be a support outside yeah. of that? And, like, I, I know we've mentioned mentorship a couple different times in, in different interviews that we've done. And, and just, like, you know, you mentioned, uh, or somebody mentioned the doctor earlier. Like, yeah. if you know a doctor, how can you set up that connection, like, Maybe there's some doctors out there that would love to take a kid under their wing and, like, show them, like, you
0: can do this. Yeah. So we do have what we call permanent connections, and um, we do have some goals um, within the agency for especially older youth to have three permanent connections before they exit the foster care system. Um, But as far as C children's division goes, um, I think – our job and our role in that is to purposefully find those connections or assist in those connections. Yeah. Um, cause the whole point behind it is exactly what you're talking about. The whole point is for them, once they're out of foster care to forever have these connections, to have someone in the middle of the night, they can call when they're upset and they need help or someone they can call when they're happy and right. something great has happened to them. A lot of our, our foster kids don't have that. And mm. Um, so that's our goal as an agency, we're really striving to do. Um, and it sounds like with the work of Eugenia, I mean, I think if that work continues, um, we need to hear from other foster kiddos. Uh, we need to hear their stories too. And I think uh, the more of those stories we hear, I think the better better quality foster families will recruit, um, the more successful our foster kiddos will be. Um, and. Uh, we could change the world. Literally, we can change the world. So,
2: I guess this might be a wrap-up question. I don't know. I'll let you guys let me know. But, um, you know, you told us your story up to now. and but, but what we didn't get was what's it look like with you and your family now as a result of staying in contact? How important was it for you to um, stay connected with your biological family, your brothers, your sister, your dad, like... Can you talk
3: about that a little bit? Yeah. So, for me, it was very, very important that I stayed connected with my brothers and my dad the best I could. Um, I mean, growing up, you know, that's who I had. That's what I was used to. And I I was very much the younger sibling, the youngest, the sister. And I, I loved my brothers. You know what I mean? So... Just having that sense of normalcy between us and just saying, Hey, like, this isn't gonna be our forever So really just trying to just hold on to that. And I had some really great social workers that really was like, Yeah, you guys are gonna see each other and they set up visits for us without our dad and things like that. So just having people Yeah, they went above and beyond for us to keep that relationship. Um, And so now, I mean, we're all talking. We're all, you know, on a regular basis and see each other for the holidays and spend time and, you know, baby showers and things like that. So it's great. Um, And I think having that desire and that push and that support from those social workers to help us still see each other Mm -hmm. and communicate over the years really, really helped us have the relationship that we do now. Absolutely. It wasn't perfect, you know, by any means, but it was the desire and the willingness to do that, and I think it made us closer and want to have that relationship as adults now.
0: Absolutely. Um, Did you have any – was there any barriers with your foster home placements regarding keeping those connections with biological family, or was it – or they supported it and backed it. What's that look like? Yeah, they were all
3: supportive. Um, Very, very supportive. In fact, my first uh, placement, kinship placement, my godmother, every time there was an event or something like that, she would go pick my brothers up and, you know, have them and do stuff and things like that when she could. And, you know, likewise with my other kinship placement, you know, just, really trying to keep that family dynamic um so yeah so even at my um foster home placement my brother came as a respite placement for the weekend and they coordinated that just so we could see each other and still have that communication and that was huge because they did it as a surprise and all that good stuff so just having the people behind us who wanted us to have those relationships and that communication meant everything so For sure, it definitely helped us have the relationship we have now.
1: So I'm glad to hear the respite word, um, that they use respite for your um, brother to come and stay the weekend, I believe you said. So just for our listeners out there that don't necessarily know what respite means, um, we have respite providers licensed through us through the children's division where they take in kiddos for like a 24-hour, 48-hour, or sometimes several-day period for, it's for the benefit of the child. So like in um, Eugenia's experience, it was for her brother to be able to come stay where she was at and for that parent to get paid for it for doing respite. So we do have respite only homes and it's a lot um, shorter time for you to become licensed. We do do background checks a walkthrough of the home and then you have to do some respite training but really that's about it so that's another way our listeners if they're not really ready to jump in to be a (coughs) excuse me that's a way for our listeners um if they don't want to fully jump in to be in a foster home or adoptive parent but they want to help out in some way Um, is respite because you only have them for a short time and you're a support not for only the children but for those foster homes that have them full-time 24-7 that yeah sometimes they need a break they do and so that you can be a home that's going to be safe for that child
0: and and a lot of our foster homes um, do enter into fostering through the respite so um, I'm glad to hear that um, you were able to visit with your brother and he was able to visit on a respite. Um, That's, that's really great.
2: Shasta, I think you should ask her the same question you asked kind of at the end of all of our other calls.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Eugenia, if I was someone who was really interested in fostering and I came to you and said, you know, I, I'm really thinking about being a foster parent I'm really scared, though, and I've heard some really negative things about what it's like to be a foster parent. As a foster youth who's grown up in this, what advice would you give me? The first
3: piece of advice I would give is make sure you have the heart to really do it. Yeah. Um, and think of yourself as a parent and not just a foster parent, Right. Um, the kids are looking for that guidance and that love from a parent and not necessarily a foster parent, right? Um, And even though that's what you are in the sense of our world here, in general, you are a parent. Mm -hmm. And so just have the heart to do it and willing to step in as, you know, that parental figure. The second piece of advice I would say is, Build a community where you can ask those questions if you are scared or if you need help trying to navigate through it, especially if it's your first time. It's, you're going to have questions. You're going to, you know, want to know what it entails to a certain extent. And then, two, what makes what makes your home, how can you make your home a special place for a child that's entering in? like a child that you would have on your own. So just kind of brainstorming and thinking through those and who in your community, your family, your friends, your coworkers, that can support you in this where you can get as much information as you can to help better your decision.
0: I love that. That's some great advice. And I absolutely love what you said. How can you make, you know, your home special and a special place to call home that is – profound and I think um that's you gave some really good insight. And if I was going to foster after talking to Eugenia, I would be calling and I would be trying to foster. Well, cuz it really does take a village like she said. Yeah. It
1: takes a whole community. Yep. And you can't do it alone.
2: Yep. And absolutely. I I do just have one more question because maybe the listeners might be curious and this is this is something that goes along with foster care a lot of times is How's your dad doing is how is where is he now? did he find the the supports he needed um and and did your foster parents have any role in helping him
3: recover if if he's better? yeah, so my dad right now he's doing good he's back on his feet you know he's working, he's providing for himself um and he's been clean for so many years now Yay. Um, and so he's do- and actually my uh, kinship, my older sister and my godparents. You know, they played a really, a really big part in that, and just kind of the support and mm-hmm. talking to him and praying for him and just really making sure you know he got the resources that he needed. If that was a bus pass That's or right. you know some food or whatever it may have been, they really did the best that they could to help him. And I think it paid off in the long run. And so now, you know, we talk almost every day and we laugh and we joke and we're still working on our relationship. So
0: he's doing much better. I love that. That's really, really great and great advice. Um, How important foster parents play a role and not only to our foster kiddos, but to, to the family. Um, I like to say it's when you become a foster parent you're fostering the family you're not just fostering a kid you're fostering the family and um you it sounds like you had some really good examples of that and it shows Mm -hmm. it shows to our listeners because i think
1: there's a thought out there whatever you would call it um that you know well these parents aren't going to get better no, there's no, there's no help for him.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: your story and your dad just showed the listeners that yeah, they can, they can change, they can get better,
0: and with support, right? With support, and again, that community, and um, it takes a village. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think uh, I we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It sounds like you are a busy, busy woman. And um, really, I think your voice um, is going to impact many, and it sounds like it already has. Um, I look forward to hearing some workshops here yes. in Missouri. Um, I know we have a lot of foster parents who would benefit from hearing you oh, yes. and hearing your story. Um, so, just thank you for everything you've done, and congratulations on being successful. And um, that's just, it's just really awesome.
3: Thank you. Thank you, thank you so yeah, much and thank thank you
0: for so to
3: help and to bridge the gap and recruit more parents and just to feel that love back up where the the youth in care needed.
0: So Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Wow. Yeah.
2: How cool to be able to talk to a former youth um, Who's, who's made something? Yeah, so, That's like now moving so mountains. Yeah. Like,
0: she's completely <coughs> severed the. Because we have some negative statistics about uh, foster kids who age out of the system. Yeah, and then they don't, a lot they of them end up know, in prison, and or they pregnant their kids are in. You know, foster. Care. They yeah, the cycle. They repeat well, the cycle. Well, I wanted to say
1: that about her dad because there is that. I couldn't think of the word stigma. Thank you. <laughs> there is that stigma. That uh, that I do hear a lot, you mm. know that negativity. Oh, why why do you even help them? Why do you even go towards reunification? Mm. Look, that's the biological family, and no matter how they are, they will forever have a connection and forever love them. Forever. Yeah, I think
2: what she said was, "This isn't going to be our forever." Yeah. Yes, that I loved hearing that because, like, I don't know if you know, I don't, I, we didn't ask is she older than the brothers or she, yeah. you know, where she falls in that lineup, but like. Just that positivity, yeah.
1: I think that's so unique. And yeah. by them staying in connection, I mean they are there forever. Yeah. Like the siblings, no matter what placement are in, whether they're in kinship, foster, wherever they're at, they are forever.
0: Yeah, and I, I think uh, this was the first podcast we we've done um, with with a previous foster youth, and I think um, it really. It, what better advice to get yeah. from someone mm-hmm. who's experienced it and lived it? And and she's seriously have, she's she's broke the mold, right? And um, I loved how she talked about like her adult sibling yeah. um, came in and um, we are really looking at that as an agency and we should be yeah. reaching out and, to adult siblings because we should be. Well, and, and,
1: and like with the avenues, like she talked about, everything social media. That's yeah. how she found her.
0: Yeah, which is awesome, and Basically. that's exactly why we're doing this podcast, right? Yeah, to, to reach more. Yep, reach more people because we have the opportunity and the in the. There's no better time. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing about her workshops. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and she is she is totally um, into it with us with with that. So you just let me know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know who all to contact about it. I know she's going to work with the state youth advisory board. Awesome. Um, I think she's going to be a speaker at their conference this coming year, um, and maybe do some some workshops with uh, that the older youth group. Awesome. But um, yeah, I I really think she could be valuable in the foster care space. Yep. So. Um, I don't know who to contact about that, but I bet you guys do. And yeah. so, and you know, it made me think about um, Pam in the Royals unit. Absolutely. Like, I feel like she could really um, be inspirational and a good mentor to that group mm-hmm. at, at a minimum. Uh, you yeah, know?
0: at a minimum. I was thinking Royals through and through. Um, and uh, they're kind of looking at, I think, maybe. Working with you, Ashton, on maybe a Royals podcast. But I'd love to do that. Um, And and for
2: anybody listening, maybe you guys should explain what Royals is.
0: Yeah, Royals is a, um, actually, how we created the Royals was we entered a, I was actually on this team. We entered a competition and it's the Show Me State Challenge. Mm. And it's where you get a team of people and you really create something, hopefully groundbreaking. And you present it, and you can win first, second, third. Well, we won first, and with that comes implementation of your plan. So we we did the Royals, which is it's dedicated to um, our older youth, and the whole purpose behind the Royals is those foster youth who are working towards independence, who we want to make sure our older youth are prepared and ready to exit the foster care system, be successful, and really, like Eugenia, break the mold, like, We are really um, supportive. It's very intense work what the Royals do. Um, We have a statewide unit and we also have a Southeast region unit. Um, Pam Olson is the regional director over that unit. And actually it was kind of her, her baby really, for lack of better words. Um, it was kind of her vision and her, her mind, and then she grabbed a couple of us and said, "Let's do this." Um, it's been a really successful program. Um, in fact, when I hear people like Eugenia, she would have been a great Royals Royals foster kid. And so, um, more to come on the Royals. Um, yeah, you
2: heard it here first. Maybe there's a podcast coming that <laughs> mic drop for the Royals.
0: Um, so I think um, she. This was just a. This was a really good call. This was a different. This was a different one. And, um, but I think very insightful, very useful. Very, um, hopefully, our listeners get something out of this. Hopefully, they, uh, you know, hearing from someone who's been through it, um, I think is very impactful. And yeah, hopefully, it inspires others to pick up the phone, which is 1 800 554 2222. uh, And, Consider fostering. We need more foster parents, and and we need more foster parents that can help support um, and grow our foster kiddos into being successful, like Eugenia. I think she's a great example of that. You can also, if you're interested in fostering, go to dss.mo.gov backslash cd. Um, this, um, A Call to Foster, is, again, a monthly podcast, so please like, share. The more you share, the more we can hopefully grow our foster our foster homes because we def- we desperately need them. Um, but please like us. You can find us on Spotify, Facebook, Apple, Instagram, YouTube, and potentially more platforms um, may- might be out there. So uh, we want to thank you for listening today, and um, yeah, please join us next month.
1: Adios.
2: <laughs> Bye. <laughs> At the Department of Social Services, we are dedicated to inspiring more Missourians to help us provide quality, loving homes to the children in our care. Help us reach our future foster parents by leaving a review, subscribing, and sharing this podcast on your social media platforms.